3: To find out about our upcoming events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events. The new book is uh, <clears throat> Much Possessed by Death, as um, Eliot said of Webster. So I'll read the long title uh, poem uh, from a dad, um, which is a, an elegy, and then, um, and then we'll have Terence. It's in different sections, and there's an asterisk between them. I'm never sure how to do that asterisk sound, so I might just raise my hand to separate the sections. Up Late. If I shut my eyes to the new dark, I find that I start to experience time in its purest state. A series of durations rising and dilating beneath my inwards gaze. An eruptive core where the umbra blooms in crestless waves of darkness as within another umbra bubbles up from the interior, from nothingness, from nowhere. And at the centre of the crest of this disintegrating, reassembling nest, the jet of time generates his consciousness, the planetary mind, aloft, alone, mine, jostled and spun like a ping-pong ball. My father died today, sorry to bolt that on. You understand the shift required. This morning the consultant said, your father now is clawing at the mask and is exhausted and we've thrown everything we have at this. It's a terrible disease. He promises to give him morphine and that a nurse will be beside him at all times to hold his hand and talk him through it. It being the transition, the change of state, the fall of light, the trade, The instant of the hand itself turning from the subject into object. No, we are not allowed in the ward and there cannot be exceptions. Thank you for making this difficult call. But I know what the body wants. Continuance. Continuance. Continuance at any cost. But dying then, as we speak, my father in the IC ward of Antrim Area Hospital. The IC ward that I see you, I see you too. On Sunday, they permitted us to Zoom and he was prone in a hospital gown strapped to a white slab. The hospital gown split at the back and the pale, cold skin of his back was exposed. He lifted his head to the camera and his face was dark, red and puffy, bisected vertically by the mask and we had to ask Elizabeth, the nurse, to say his words back to us. He sounded underwater, it's been a busy day, but not a good day. I could see even with the mask on, your little satisfaction with the phrase managed out. And the achievement left you so depleted, you lowered your head back to the slab, having done with us. Like some seal on a rock looking up as we pass on the blue pool ferry out to Garanish. Dad, you poor bastard, I see you. You lay like that for a week alone with your thoughts in the room, tethered, breathless, undefended, at sea as on an ice floe slipping down into the shipping lanes. The eye adjusts even to darkness, even to the presence of what overwhelms us and as I make my way from the bed to the study the soles of my feet on the carpet warp it as any fabric made of this space time will distort beneath the force of a large object. And my father, as it happens, is gigantic. And if you thought an understanding could be reached, you are wrong, for it could not. The goldfish pilots the light of itself through a 10 gallon darkness, and I keep watch as the large hand of the clock covers the small and leaves it behind to the weak approximation. I sit here in and finish writing. I want the poem to destroy time. What are the ceremonies of forgetting? There is a spring in Boeotia that lets the river Letha enter our world. King Jucky's ale of forgetfulness, excessive phlegm. But I like the notion of the angel lightly tapping the baby in its soft hollow above the top lip erasing all the child knows, all its grief, all its terrible regret, before it descends again fresh to the world. After your stroke you were born once more as smaller, greyer, softer, and after mum died left bewildered, adrift, ordering crap online and following the auctions, the horses, the football, the golf, but hungering for company for anyone, sending money to that Kenyan who was younger than me and flying out to Germany to see her. And again, before Jackie arrived on the scene, the bottle blonde who had her demons, by which she meant she was a violent alcoholic, although with Louise things seemed steady enough for a few months, until you got stuck in one of your loops about her ex-husband funding her and the changing plans of an ingrate daughter. You could never let anything go, A treat I also suffer from and kind of admire, but that is impossible possible here. The tick of the clock is meltwater dripping into the fissure. The minute hand clicks across the R hand and hovers for a minute exactly, and impinging on the vision is your slack, wild face, and the way a nurse's hand might hold your cold hand or try again to lift your hand but your hand now will not respond. I have been writing elegies for you all my life, father, in one form or another, but now I find the path is just this game trail through the forest, the forested mind, which I must follow in the manner of an animal, a deer, a fox, a chimpanzee, returning to the clearing to nuzzle the corpse, to lick its nape or bite it softly, to look away and look again and wait for a response. One hand on the clock holds the other for a minute before going on alone. It is death that is implicit in the ticking. One must negotiate the next moment. The mind will not stop and certain things are good to think with. Goldfish, carpet, clock. I want something fit to mediate the procreative business of redoubling the brittle world and settle on an image for a second. Since it is a given that the mind will keep returning to the magic the legeur de main, the trick, one hand holding your hand as it turns into an object, as I turn back along the track towards the fold, towards the corner of the field where the father's body lies, and with an animal's dumb clarity do grief work, kiss your hand and kiss your cheek and leave my forehead for a time pressed against yours. When I phoned the hospital this afternoon to say goodbye, though you were no longer lucid, Elizabeth, the nurse, held the phone against your ear and I could hear you breathing, or perhaps the rasping of the oxygen machine. And I said what you'd expect. I love you, Dad, and I want you to keep on fighting. But if you are too tired now and in too much pain, then you should stop fighting and let go. And whatever happens, it's okay. I love you. You were a good father. The kids love you. Thank you for everything. Then I hung up and seen Impossible to grieve and not know the vanity of grief. To watch oneself perform the rituals that take us. Automaton of grief I hauled, of course, by myself in my office, then sobbed for a bit on the sofa. An elegy, I think, is words to bind a grief in. A companionship of grief, a spell to keep it safe and sound, to keep it from escaping. There are various ways to memorise Plato calls a mnemosyne, my grandfather Bertie liked to tie a knot in his blue handkerchief. My father wrote in biro on his palm. I cannot leave the poem alone. Do you remember the pure world? I remember it from being a kid, always at stake in that place. One moved through it sideways through forests of time, lost in them and had to be called back to the moment. Infinities growing in stone, in moss, in the hay shed, The rain, the wind, and the darkness under the cattle grid. Rilke says of the pure, unseparated element, Someone dies, and is it? It's after two. You're dead by now, I hope. Who thought to write that? But there's no hurry now, no effort, no need to call. You might be only sitting in your red chair, endlessly flicking through the channels. When I asked the doctor, Andrew Black, he said, it could take minutes, it could take hours. And I see you slumped, your eyes shut, propped against some pillows. something in you finally given up, defying gravity, some obedience to objecthood, settled in you now and set up home, set in stone. Outside on the motorway, the headlights of the vehicles are necklaces of diamonds, double strung, and trailing westwards alongside them, the necklaces of garnets. Dad... I cannot stay in the room with you too long. In my mind, it is too hard. I thought there would be futurity. I thought things would happen. Nothing major. Barbecues. Why barbecues? God knows. You're walking around Bantry at the Friday market in your shorts in the light rain, your white tube socks pulled up and a bright T-shirt from some Spanish golf course tucked into your shorts. By the way, Dad, we are even. You and I, no need. Look, how absolutely still the room is. Outside, the widowed sky has grown huge with stars. The Milky Way meandering like the Ballon though the other night has come with work to do. It sits with you and broods. It wants you to come at your own pace and in the next moment you might get up and speak clearly to everything, creation, extinction, infinities rising within you. Alistair Laird is dead, fuckity fuck, fuckity fuck, 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 fuck my dad is dead. Bad luck. The light breaks and the night breaks and the line breaks and the day is late assembling. Rows of terraced houses are clicking into place. Clouds decelerate and make like everything is normal. The children wanting porridge. Voices forcing pattern out of circumstance. Pitching rhythmic incident on little grids of expectation, satisfaction disappointment, this new awe, and walk into school at the corner where the halfway house is, leaves animated in a briefest circle by the wind. So, no, 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 please don't. So, no, no. Um, uh, Terence, uh, uh, Terence likes to read a new poem, so I said I'd read a new poem too. I don't have many new poems, but this is... Uh, Oh, yeah, what you don't know uh, about Taryn's is that we both had pugs, or oh, we had pugs. Yeah. Yeah, we love pugs. I uh, want to steal your new pug. Yeah. I've got a new one called Peggy, who's a bit of an asshole. But um, this is about my good pug who died last year. She was 16. Um, Maud. Uh, Terrence had a pug called Fetch, who was a
1: uh, yeah handsome pug. Who liked who liked Maud. He
3: did like Maud. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, So so Maud had to be put down, unfortunately, this this poem is about that. She was 16. I was pushing her around in a pram for like two years like a crazy person. Someone came up to me at a farmer's market and said, I'm I'm so so, um, excited that you and your wife have had a new baby. Uh, I said, who said that? Someone saw your wife with a pram, but uh, it was a 16-year-old pug. All right, so... Uh, this, this is about Maud. It's called Dog in Godhead with Head of Dog. And the reason it's called that is because Maud's ashes are now in a, in a small plastic uh, replica of Anubis, the Egyptian god of the dead, um, and they sit on the mantelpiece. I thought uh, i have given you too much information. But anyway, <laughs> this is the... Dog in Godhead with Head of Dog. As the dad, it is my job to kill things. Spiders mostly, or mice or rats. But now, on this damp afternoon, the dog's front left paw has been shaved and a catheter hangs from it. And she sprawls on the steel table done, done with, capitulated, unresisting the next crap thing sure to happen. And when the vet asks, if you want to do it yourself, perhaps, depress the plunger into the syringe, it is my job to kill things. And I inject the clear solution, the dog's gaze stalls in mid-air, pooling somewhere between her eyes and the beige wall, and she is over. So much ash and silt in a plastic urn of Anubis on the mantelpiece, keeper of death, master of secrets. And since she never held a grievance or acted out of malice, in some other place she is become an arbiter of goodness. And when anyone enters the house, she rises herself and barks and bounds over to where they are and sniffs it out. That's it.
1: The Odyssey, uh, and then the father poem is also a guy poem, and then the dog and the guy. there's something going on. <laughs> I will. <laughs> okay. We talk about the opposite. See, I like to get mine out the way so I can concentrate on the stuff that I know works. Um, <laughs> so let me try this thing here. Is and, this you know, I, I guess I'll say too, um, I just try to stay ahead. I just try to work. So I spent half the day trying to like work on something about you. If it's not good, I'm not going to bring it out. Um, so, I, you know, we'll read and I, Maybe we'll just do a QA. We don't have to necessarily talk or anything. Okay. Um,
3: did you said you spent half
1: the day working on the Something about, about me? you, but I couldn't get it to work out. I told no, you I okay. was like, <laughs> yeah. It'll it'll maybe it'll show up later. So what I'm essentially saying, you know, my general attitude is really just to try to stay about a poem ahead of myself or next poem and the last poem. Uh, so that's why I'm going to start with this one because it's the one that worries me the most. It's just the wedding poem. And this is the one I sent it to you. <laughs> uh, and saying you gotta talk a little bit more. I'm not gonna talk that much when I get into the book, but I was talking to a friend who had somehow wound up being on a month-long cruise and learned that there was some sort of ongoing long ritual where old people would take these world cruises and then jump overboard. So I didn't believe it. I was like, what? And so I Googled it. And what I found is what I start here at the beginning with this: uh, authority said an elderly couple missing from a cruise ship may have jumped overboard. So, Money in the stories of people having fallen overboard or vanished off the ship, but not as a kind of regimented, regular thing. So I heard it and I was like, well, I got to meditate on that. The real problem, of course, was like, can I write it? And is it a love poem or is it an elegy? You know, I don't know. So you don't have to answer that. All right, so I'll just get this out of the way and then I'll read some stuff from the book. Uh, Untold luxury love boat cruises. In the earliest accounts the first elderly couples leapt overboard from Noah's Ark and were transformed into assorted, board, into assorted birds before they hit the holy waters. Others claim the first overboard were elderly Africans fleeing middle passages. Or maybe the ancient mariner and his wife stepped quietly into a vast sea from a wooden boat they'd built to weather several great and terrible years together. The meaning of each tale like each marriage, depends upon who tells the tale. The wood of the boat can be cedar, which is rot-resistant but requires complex care, or the wood can be ash, which bends easily but fades to gray over time. Who can say where such an idea comes from? Several senior couples spend their life savings on extended anniversary luxury cruises during which they jump hand in hand into the sea instead of returning. If the deaths that part the pair are self-inflicted, is the marriage vow voided or extended? The hawk, the albatross, the canary, the vulture, the raven, the kind of bird flying above the boat during these voyages depends upon who tells the tale. What if one lover wishes to be burned to smoke, rooted in odor after death, and the other wishes to be buried like a single seed shooting into petals or into a very tall tree? Some elderly couples married 500 years or more by mountains or seashores are said to vanish into forests or sunsets. On the biggest and most adrift of these cruise ships, decks of lavish sweets are painted in different patterns, textures, and colors and couples spend a portion of each day simply absorbing the atmosphere. The bird flying above these voyages flies in two directions at once, toward the center and toward the dark, with a far-off cry that can only be heard by the few great, terrified elderly couples who decide to come back. Like if you go, you're like, let's do this. You paid all your money. You get do I have to explain it? I don't have to explain it. <laughs> the people who come back. I mean, what what, what happened? What kind of marriage is that? <laughs> okay, so that's what I'm thinking about and other stuff. I guess that's all right. I might change a few things in it. Um, and I'll just read some stuff from the book. Uh, I feel like certainly as I've uh, gotten to read them a little bit more, the mother, like thinking about the father and God in those poems. So maybe that's what I'm going to do. You do the father. I, I'll like think about the mother. Um, But this one's about a pig. Uh, Ars Poetica with bacon. Fortunately, the family, anxious about its diminishing food supply, encountered a small, possibly hostile pig along the way. The daughter happened upon it first, pushing its scuffed snout against something hidden at the the base of a thorn bush, a blood-covered egg maybe, or a small rubber ball exactly like the sort that snapped from the paddle my mother used to beat me with when I let her down. At the time, the father and mother were tangled in some immemorial dispute about cause and effect. Who'd harmed whom first? How jealousy did not in fact begin as jealousy, but as desperation. When the daughter called out to them, they turned to see her lift the pig it was no heavier than an orphan, from the bushes and set it down in their path. They waited to see whether the pig might idle forward with them until they made camp or wander backward toward the home they'd abandoned to war. Night, enclosed in small drops of rain, began to fall upon them. Consequence is the word that splintered my mind. Walking a path in the dark is about something the way a family is about something. Like the pig, I, too, wanted to reach through the thorn bush, reach through the thorns for the egg or ball, believing it was a small... I'm sorry, y'all. I'm just thinking about something in this poem. Um, I'll tell you about it after I read it. Let me start over. Like the pig, I, too, wanted to reach through the thorns for the egg or ball, believing it was a symbol of things to come. I wanted to roll it in my palm like the head of a small red bird until it sang to me. I wanted to know how my mother spent her days having never touched her husband's asshole, for example. Which parts of your body have never been touched? I wanted to ask. I'd been hired to lead the family from danger to a territory full of more seeds than bullets. But truth was, In the darkness, there was no telling what was rooting in the soil. Plots of complete silence, romantics posing in a field bludgeoned by shame. The heart, biologically speaking, is ugly as it pumps its passion and fear down the veins. Which is to say, starting out, we have no wounds to speak of beyond the ways our parents express their love. We were never sure what the pig was after, or whether it was in fact not a pig, but some single-minded soul hunger had turned into a pig, some devil worthy of mercy. Without giving away the enigmatic ending, I will say, when we swallowed the flesh, our eyes were closed." Um, There are still a few like American scientists in here, um, but you can see where I'm trying to get away from the assassin, even though that shows up, too, because, you know, uh, the person that started, I don't even like to say his name, the loudmouth is still around. But this one, uh, American Sonnet for My Grandfather's Love Child, would be sort of an example of me trying to apply maybe some of the things I learned in that sonnet book to other kinds of poems, if that makes any sense. Uh, So this is an American Sonnet for My Grandfather's Love Child. You take a tree where all the blackbirds are sleeping except for the one clapping its wings. That's the kind of woman who raised me. My mother changed her name to daughter, then to sister, then back to mother again. Three times she parked outside her wretched father's house, undertaking a melancholy kind of karaoke. She can't sing really, she's ashamed of her teeth. But she pretended an MC was saying, Give her a hand when she finished. I wasn't there, but I bet she jangled her car keys as if she was offering a small girl a ride to the beach, to the oceanside, to the water a girl becomes to survive and the soft applause washing ashore when she retreats. To love her, I had to love the night curling up around me. I woke up surprised whether she was coming or going. Uh, so, I mean, also, the, the phenomena of, like, the pandemic poem, which is, you know, as soon as you say that, it becomes a problem. But poems written during a certain time period could be construed as pandemic poems. I'll just say that. So, in the middle of the book, I have poems that I call, you know, uh, uh, Kafka virus poems. So, you know, whatever that means. Here's... Um, Yeah, the Kafka virus versus Thursday, July 2020. And yeah, I guess that's all I say. I don't need to say anything else about it. The madness of each ordinary day versus the language of someone raised by history versus someone raised by a virgin. I'm mostly interested in the devil's story because I know there's some devil in me. I still live like someone somewhere will clean the vents of my home anatomy, but I'm the only person who lives here. According to Memphis Slim, what looks like singing has roots in slaves casting shade on oppressors, a cotton field of them stooped, weeping, Jeremiah's of sweat. Marlon Brando's snakeskin jacket in The Fugitive Kind cursed Marlon Brando's leather jacket in The Wild One so that Brando himself became a black person on opposite sides of a mirror calling the other demon. I am a man named your father's name, or I am the heroine flower vendor vending stolen flowers in the park. I am Ambrose Black Blake the butcher, or I am Ebenezer Nebuchadnezzar the Lion King, or a man who thinks winning is the whole point of everything while losing only highlights loss. I am known when entangled in great and minor troubles to berate my own damn self. You find every kind of human being human every way, every day. If you are the only person to observe a particular trait in yourself, how trustworthy is the observation? People who have been loved poorly may or may not be cursed to love poorly. You know how you don't know how to describe your own face without looking in the mirror. You know how you can never tell a curse from a bad day. That inherent chirping coming from somewhere in the house is a smoke alarm's dying battery, not a mind canary. Growing is never not a part of being grown. Most big decisions are made without me and you every day, too. I'm just so accustomed to adjusting to everything. How often must I tell you I was born to a 16-year-old black girl who had three siblings with different fathers in the projects of South Carolina in 1971 after a neighbor raped her? If there is no solution, a problem is not a real problem by definition. When my mother's grandmother was alive, She lived on the dark potions of a beautician with a mouthful of hairpins and an enchanted free hand above the the minds of ladies looking to be more free beneath their lover's hands. Like her ambidextrous, skinny silver scissors, refining and lining the extra edges of her extra fine magic touch, my hands were made for beautiful things. Uh, yeah, all of those kinds of poems are weird. I had one in here. How much more time we got? Uh, maybe just a couple more. Continuity. So this is out of the Kafka virus. This is just couplets. Continuity. Uh, I guess I could say you know the backdrop of this is watching this movie. Remind me to tell you what the movie is at the end uh, later. Um, at the at the pub, watching this movie. And uh, there was just a, a continuity problem, if you know that term. Something happened where, it's, it's how the poem starts. You know, she gives this figure a cup and then it happened again. I just looked at my dad, and I was like, did I hallucinate that? And he was like, no. So then I went and I put this poem together. Uh, continuity. Before getting into the cab, she hands him a cup. Then after they kiss, she hands him the cup again. As they walk, she hands him a man-made substance Then, after they kiss, she hands him the cup again. She hands him a chalice of lightning, and he hands her a chalice of fire. Then, in the next shot, after they kiss, they exchange chalices again. When she goes through the metal detector, she carefully places a pair of hoop earrings in a plastic tray. When she retrieves them, they are two silver bangles she fits to her wrist. When they climb from the cab in the rain, Her hair is wet, but when they kiss on the sidewalk, her hair is dry again. After she takes off her helmet and breastplate and enters the water wearing nothing but courage, she says to him, you are nude, but you must be naked to win. But the subtitles read, to survive, you must bear the heart. When they climb from the river, her hair is a river where night has fallen, tangled with twigs and stars, parting like a path of escape but in the very next shot, as they climb from the river, her hair is braided with with wire and string. When he bangs on the rain-streaked window of the cab, yelling her name in a pivotal scene, briefly reflected in the window in the rain, tangled with wires and stars, above a river is the hand of a fan or stagehand, bodyguard, body double, bystander, interloper, beloved ghost, and the two of us, watching from a bridge on the far side. Uh, how about just two more? This one here, uh, I assume y'all know about Bob Ross over here. Yeah, with the afro? <laughs> and the tone, which is what I really appreciate. So. I'm really trying to, it's kind of a persona poem or something, but it's, you know, he doesn't do portraits, if you don't know. Bob Ross is a very famous and strange uh, landscape painter in the States. And so he's, as far as I know, he's never done a portrait. So that's sort of what initiates my idea. And then other things happen, but, um, but it's him. Bob Ross paints you a portrait. Today, we're going to get to work on the details of your expression. You have to imagine him standing at a canvas and, talking to you. And believe it or not, the only colors we're going to use will be blacker than most blacks. We'll use a black canvas and just a single finger instead of a brush. So let's take and dab the tip of a pointer finger into the black like so. And now we're going to touch everything between jawbone and temple, cheek and nostril, lip and eyebrow on both sides of the mouth. You folks at home are welcome to use a thumb, use a pinky or pinky toe, I just want you to enjoy yourselves, get the feel of the color until it suits you, and just gently tap, tap gently the color into the shape of a forehead. There we go. Maybe like we're looking for a tiny button to press. We want it all to be approximately the same deep space black, black hole black, moving between our canvas and fingertips gently tapping, barely touching layers of fingerprint until we have the look of a deeply textured black, okay? Now we're going to put some of the past in the background, around your mind, all the way out to the edges of the canvas where all kinds of things are happening. In the distance, we'll place a mother and a father, but we'll make them only visible in your expression. What's so very nice about these black canvases is if there's light shining directly on them, they look totally different. The night sky, the landscape, the mother and father, we want it all to disappear and appear to disappear. It's almost like two paintings in one. We want to touch gently enough to calm the longing, the boundless beauty bound in you, like so, okay? And now we can begin applying little black stars in the background without changing our technique very much. Wherever we picture stars, we can just touch the canvas like so. We can add black stars for eyes and black stars for scars. We want it all as black as the space around the constellation. There we go. And maybe we want to take and add a little bit more of the past. It's happening all the time. Just enough to convey what we're trying to feel the texture beneath the finger, okay? And maybe one parent is a little bigger than the other in some way. Maybe one gives you your stinger and the other gives you your shell. So you'll have to work a little bit harder to forgive yourself and just lay in some of your favorite color, which is black, under the blackness, lamp black, black, ink black, boot black, jack, and blacker, just gently tap, tap, tapping. Now I think I mentioned it earlier, but in case you missed it, if you have questions or comments or something we can help you with, please feel free to drop me a line. Lay in some blue black, ivory black, jet black and blacker, gently tap, tap touching. There we go. I just love to hear from you. You have all kinds of beautiful depths and layers and shapes and shades of black about you. Yes, you do. Okay, now we're going to handle your hair like a lovely coat of black feathers, or it might be a black feather hat, or a wig, or afro, or aura, and we'll just take our finger and just make little crosses across your crowd. Folks trying this at home might wanna make big, bold, plus signs when you feel bold and expressive, whatever you like. Black hair, hair as black, black as hair the night before it turns gray in the darkness, the color of sadness or escape. I can't shake the memory of the woman I loved poorly, curling her finger as if pointing up inside herself when she showed me how she wished to be touched. If we pick up a little bit of the darkness under the color, that's okay, that's just fine. We want to pull the darkness out from the edge and blend it over the curve of your nose, following the curve of your speech, down into the onyx, the gunmetal, the black magic rabbit hole of a top hat over the mind kind of black, moving between canvas and finger. Take your time. Soon, the darkness stands back from you a little. Everything in the background where your body begins and ends. Can you feel yourself emerge as you fall backwards? Wait till you hear what I've got planned for next week. Is who hurt you equal to who you hurt? Is who you love equal to who loves you? We'll start right there and move in the direction of desire. But right now, let's begin working on your shadows. And uh, just this last little short one that sometimes makes me sweat. I don't think I've sweat since the last poem. Uh, And it's just called George Floyd. You can be a bother who dyes his hair. You can be a brother. You can be a bother who dyes his hair. Dennis Rodman, blue in the face. You can be a bother who dyes his hair. Dennis Rodman, blue in the face of the man, kneeling in blue. His hair, Dennis Rodman, kneeling in blue in the face. The music of his wrist. In the face, the music of his wrist. Watch your mouth is little more than a door being knocked out of the ring. You can be a bother who dyes his hair. Dennis Rodman blew in the face of the man kneeling and blew in the face the music of his wrist. Your watch, your mouth is little more than a door being knocked out of the ring of fire. Around the afternoon came the evening's bell of the ball and chain around the neck of the unarmed brother ground down to gunpowder. Dirt can be inhaled like a puff the magic bullet point of the transformations. Both kills and fires the life of the party like it's 1999 bottles of beer on the Wall Street. People who sleep on the street do not sleep without counting yourself lucky rabbit's foot of the mountain. People who sleep on the streets do not sleep without counting yourself lucky rabbit's foot of the mountain lion. Do not sleep without making your bed of the riverboat gambling. There will be no stormy weather on the water board. The mountain lion, do not sleep without making your bed of the riverboat gambling. There will be no stormy weather on the water. Bored to death. Any means of killing time is on your side of the bed of the truck transporting. Emit till the break of day. Emit till the river runs dry. Your face, the music of the spheres. Emit till the end of time. That's it. Oops. You do? Thank you. Uh, I hope you all don't have any questions. Should we do like five minutes of questions or something? What time are we supposed to be out of here? Oh, uh, take 15 minutes of questions. Okay, okay. If there are questions. Or conversation, Sometimes I think philosopher, like the mood in the poems you read and in the book, is that of the philosopher. But then you'd be riding such music that was in my head. Like it's like a philosopher riding a horse, or (laughs) a philosopher riding a wave, or a philosopher cross country running. So there's a bounce to the, that keeps it from being um, purely dark. Okay. Music is what keeps it afloat, even if you are a philosopher very much enchanted with mortality and death. Yeah. So. Good, that's good. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a lot.
3: Yeah. Uh, poets and philosophers, they're not dissimilar. They're both I trying agree. to come at some of the same questions. I do think mm-hmm. poets start with particulars and work up, and philosophers start with general precepts and work down in some way, but yeah. we, we kind of need them somewhere. That's right. I begin the questions and ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Should we talk about form, if not form, shape? What I love about your work, and I've always loved, is the... Uh, expansion of shapes and forms and ways of doing things. Not just I know the golden shovel is the famous one, but the how do you say it, the peca kucha? Picakucha. But do you want to talk a bit about that? Like what what, what is happening whenever you're trying to expand the, the I, shape I, or something?
1: I mean, maybe that's what I'm saying. I think it's all form. Like to me, yeah. a very broad definition of maybe poetry would just be like maybe figurative language. Yeah. So then you're like, what is figurative though? So it's the shape. So the more body. So I'm not even, I'm saying poetry broadly speaking, but this notion of why I think it's all formed, which is the more body it has, the more shadow it casts, the more subtext it has. So the newspaper, not very much subtext, no shape, so that's mm-hmm. not poetry. But almost anything else under this definition, as we were talking last night, just about like a poet's sensibility, which is to recognize the power of language at this hour, I want everybody to have it. I don't want poets to just write poetry because we need them to recover our language, essentially. So whatever you're doing that's outside of that realm, I'm for it. With this idea that what you're doing is showing us that all language is figurative or potentially or the power of figurative language. So I guess I'm saying I do write for them, but I think I'm always doing it. Sometimes it's just sentences. Sometimes Mm. I'm just looking at the way a sentence has a shape to it and then there's line breaks. And so I think it's all for them, honestly.
3: I think it is too, but I think it allows you to be... It allows your work to seem both surprising and yet inevitable in some way. If it has a kind of shape in it, and I, I sort of wonder about the tension between that, because mm-hmm. because you're right, you're working within these prescribed shapes. Um, what can you do, you know, to, to still keep the surprise? But then there's this sense that it couldn't have been any other way when you get to it. There's bending Something it. to do with that shape has something to do with that, I think, in a- and
1: bending it to like. Poking the side of a box Mm that makes it maybe slightly not a box, but recognizably a box. Or the speed limit. I guess y'all wouldn't have the same here, but if the speed limit's 85, i like to do maybe 83. Yeah. So I'm not going to go over the speed limit if I can get away with it. But generally speaking, I like to be right at the point where I'm testing it, which would make me maybe qualify as a smart-ass, like, no, we had just even worse, enough yeah. to...
3: You're allowed to do 10%, basically, so I do right. 77, if the speed limit's 70. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Right. So, you know, recognizing that there is something yeah. that one needs, otherwise it's just hot air. When I think of, like, when in a box, like, without the box, it's just hot air that we're always speaking, but something about creative writing makes us have to kind of be more, less than hot air, I guess. So. Uh, but I do like to get away with it as much as I can. I don't, you know, don't want to eliminate it altogether, but I do like to almost eliminate it, almost erase it, sometimes.
2: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
3: Should we take a question? Yeah. Jill! Hi.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Hi. Um, great readings, thank you. I love the new poems. So my question is kind of a follow-up to that last one, and it is aimed at Terence, but Nick, I dare say you have something to say. Um, I've heard it said... Uh, that you write for other poets and that people who aren't poets aren't going to understand what you're doing and that you're fine with that. So well, the first part of my question is, is that true? And if so, can you elaborate on that, please?
1: I don't even know if poets really know what's going on half the time. I, I would say I write for readers or maybe like the way you know people to read letters. So I'm like, nobody knows what I'm doing. Even like, I was like, should I say that these are quatrains and that they're rhyming and all of that? And I was like, yeah. They can read it and figure it out. So what I would prioritize is maybe my relationship with the reader who can kind of do double takes or take breaks and say to y'all, it's really too much. You know, I, we work on it for a long time. We scrutinize over it. We're dumping all of this stuff into it and then y'all sit down and get a cold read. Even our students get like a week to look at the stuff. when they're, you know, We say to them, you know, look at this before class. So with that in mind, I just try to have a very low expectation for what you might catch in terms of what I'm doing, uh, even when people applaud, I'm still very skeptical of, of what that means. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, that's what I would say. I, I think I, I do value audiences, and I value three dimensionality and, and warmth. But I mostly think I'm writing for people who are going to read it more than people who are going to have to listen to it, and a whole bunch of that stuff at one time. That's that's why I stop. It's always overwhelming just to keep reading it. You know, I I almost read a poem which is, says something like. Um, you should either look at a painting for as long as it took the painter to make it or at least spend like a day with just one painting. So even the museums for me are quite overwhelming just to be going from piece to piece. And so similarly here, I, uh, what I do about that is just go to the museum store and buy the stuff that I can take with me. But uh, I guess that's what y'all are doing too with buying the books. So that's one way of saying it. Um, but even poets in the audience, I think, would you know struggle sometimes to keep up with everything. I do. <laughs> What do you think? Is that is that an answerable I,
3: question? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's really hard to um, to listen to a poem and try and get anything more than a fairly sort of um, rudimentary sense about what's going on in it. Yeah. Yeah. Poetry reading's are crap. So,
1: <laughs> who do you think you write <laughs> uh, for?
3: Uh, myself and strangers. Yeah.
1: I think. Like letter writers, right? You write yeah. letters to people.
3: I, I send you, but I do swap poems with mm-hmm. a few people. But I like, mm-hmm. I, I don't. I'm writing, mm, mm, Sort of primarily, I think I'm writing for myself, for my own pleasure, and yeah. and you do feel that when it clicks into place, when it comes right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is the that's the everything. That's the whole mm-hmm. enjoyment of it. Yeah. Any more questions? Yeah. Uh,
0: I often feel with uh, both of your work, Terence and Nick, that um, yeah, I think reading it, I certainly get the impression that you're well you're writing poetry uh, that kind of thinks on the page. Very nice for us when we read it because we feel like we're having very interesting thoughts as well. Right. Um, And this is maybe talking about like the first level of reading even that you were describing without double takes. So I wonder for both of you, how often do you know in advance where a poem's gonna go and how often do you start out with just just kind of a scene uh, and discover in the process of writing what that thought is?
1: Uh, Did you hear that? Yeah. Do you ever know where for it's gonna go? No. I never know. I mean, I, I'm excited to not know. In fact. Yeah. Um, you know, the harder thing, I think, and I, again, this is sort of a question about people will take anything after a while is really knowing when it's not going. So if I say to you, I spent half my day trying to like yeah. work on some little thing that I won't explain because then it would be ruined. But to be able to be like, could I read part of this and just get a little bit of a color of it? in the room and people would understand what I'm doing and what I think about Nick or do I just hold it and send it to him in 5 years or you know that kind of question. And so for me the 5 years is actually a good number to think, "Oh, I have something to work on." I'll be thinking about Nick for 5 years, you know, that kind of idea and that's counterintuitive to like university where you have the end of the term or even maybe with books where you know there's a deadline so i even now to have worked on that today as i think i was saying to nick yesterday i just want to kind of keep working i don't want to think of the book as a moment to take stock which isn't necessarily a bad thing to take a breather and be like i have a book but i in this particular moment i'm just interested in continuing some of the ideas that are in the book like storytelling and working on being more three-dimensional with people, intimacy, that sort of thing. So it's to say that some of the things that we pick up in books, actually, I, this is a question for you. Could that be true for you if you think of the book as an elegy or of a book as closing a kind of thing? Because I, I'm trying to make myself think of this as almost always forward, forward momentum now, so that even books are just, should just be part of a practice as opposed to a you know, I don't know if it's true, but that's sort of you know if that makes any sense. Just recognizing like time, allowing time to be what it is, not rushing things, even if you can get away with it. Not that's sort of where I am at this at this point. But do you so do you, do you hear what I'm asking you about like the end of a book? What do you think about the next book?
3: Uh, well, th- th- just to go back to the th- thing that um, Donald asked about, I, I never know where a poem is going, and mm-hmm. I, it does always begin with some little verbal. Interest, some little frisson. Uh, Berryman talks in one of the dream songs about the little odor, the chime somewhere, and there's something that you can't get past. So you 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 put it down or get hold of it and see what happens, and then you try and extrapolate from it. The, the, but there's also a, a way when when that comes. I've talked about it before, like standing on the subway platform and you feel the the the, the air, the air coming down through the tunnel before the train comes, and it, there is also that feeling when a poem is coming. You can There's a weird physical sensation of something happening, I think. But I don't think it ever is helpful to know where it's going to go or even really what it's about. I think that the joy of it is to kind of proceed blindfolded, you know, in in a dark room and then you work out whatever is sort of going on in your subconscious comes to the surface. There are some poems that, you know, I still only in reading them after the book's published, you sort of finally figure out what the Mm -hmm. poem is actually about. so it's a, it's a kind of leap of faith, I think, into darkness that stuff, and and that's the way it has to be because if there's no surprise for you, there's no surprise for the reader,
1: and it's sort of important not to know. I would take that one step further though, which is to say, at least since maybe the last two books, I have just <laughs> given up all rituals. So even to say what that particular feeling is, like I, I whatever the poem will do, that's kind of how I feel now. You know what I mean? Like. I maybe used to have rituals that could involve like taking a walk or having a drink or something. And now I just sort of wait to see, kind of. And so even saying like, I don't really go away for, I don't do retreats. And saying that makes me say, I think I need to do a retreat. So that's yeah. still the principle of surprise. And it is the principle of sort of the unexpected things that happen once you are... Aware of how comfortable you can get in a certain kind of success, even in a certain kind of success. So, I would say certainly that's all true, so much so that now I won't even, I can't even tell you what it's like to have a poem show up because it's happened that way. Sometimes it happens in the night, sometimes it happens on the toilet, sometimes it happens in the shower. So, I would say however the poem comes, you know, the arms are open. And for me, they show up in all kinds of ways. And that would be why I would say, you know, I think I write a lot. I don't really believe in. Uh, writer's block, but that means sometimes I'm just writing my name, uh, sometimes I'm listing my groceries and I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that could be a poem with some revision. Yeah. So that sort of attitude uh, is all I really hold on to as a way of saying, as long as I'm making something, it's how I get back to the idea of like, even poems, like to say like sometimes a paragraph or a sentence is enough of an engagement with language that if a regular person or people who don't do it all the time, Undertake that exercise. You'll get what we are hunting for all the time, this thing that we're talking about. But I do think you will be aware of it if you are, you know, everybody, if you sort of have more doors open, if you have windows open and in terms of one's awareness of what, yeah. where inspiration is, what language is, what music is when it's around you. I could hear you if you ask me
3: questions. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for your reading, Oh, well, you can hear me. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have a question, um, Is about, does subject matter matter? Uh, is a bit um, a thoughts like, I know on the surface, the poem may be approaching to certain topics, but is there anything beneath that in terms of craft and techniques that you are searching for or practicing?
1: Mm. The subject matter matter. Yeah, it's good. You want me to say something? (laughs) Yeah. It's what I I, want to connect it to what I was just saying about Nick. I mean, there are, you know, there's two rails that the train rides on. So rather than maybe a yes or no answer, I would say I particularly enjoy when I'm feeling that kind of whatever subject matter is and the other thing, if that's music. So if I have some sense of something being communicated, maybe it's an emotional feeling, but then there is something else under that that's like maybe what the breath will do when you're breathing a certain way. So that's what I'm saying about. I'm not trying to scan lines. I'm not trying to be especially mathematical except for what he's putting in my ear. And so I'm hearing that while also trying to like think about what that does to the to the subject matter maybe. If that makes sense. And so they are certainly woven together.
3: Yeah, for me. Yeah, it's, yeah, I suppose it's got to matter in so far as you want it to communicate something. So, it, yeah, it matters to some extent, but subject matter is nothing without all of the uh, sort of poetry around it, I think.
1: What do you think?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it seems like it matters when you're in the audience especially with poetry, because you can feel fairly insecure and fairly like what's going on. But if you were to come to the audience as you would maybe to music or jazz and said, I'm not going to get all of it. I'm just going to get a little bit of it. I'm going to get a feel. And if we allowed ourselves to be satisfied with that, then it would sort of be like, is it subject or is it like emotional intelligence being communicated? you know what I mean? Like subject is almost so... Like you hope it's doing a bunch of stuff. If I'm saying it's always two hands and it's metaphor and it's the thing between language, if it's subtext and not text, how about that if poetry is a lot about that? Shadow being cast. I, like subject matter is maybe too small to kind of think of it. Plot too, like, you know, the poems have plots? I don't know. They maybe have situations. So it's a similar kind of, there's an adjacent word to something like subject, but that feels almost like we need to be a little bit bigger to fully hold. Yeah. What, what is what's happening
0: the reason why I ask it is because mostly in terms you kind of uh, what's well, kind of refer to this collection like how to be drawn right. or, uh, your fascination with is like the imagery or being seen right. and I kind of refer that to like actual paintings seeing fit of the world <coughs> and they would pick a subject to right paint, and hence I feel like a lot of poems you do is kind of painting a subject right and whatever that conceptual subject
1: I mean, again, I would say that's true some of the time, right? Like, as much as I would be aware of that is as much as I would try to do something else. You know, and I would have to do it enough to be aware of it to want to do something else. And maybe that's how <laughs> series come about. You know, I may be doing something and I, you know, doing it because I like it and then refining it and then getting bored with it and moving on. But I, I'm going to say another thing because this just sort of just happened to me on uh, Sunday. Um, And I read the poem because I've been thinking about it. So one of those, all the poems during the quarantine are are weird, strange. I'm doing things formally to hold them together. But at the end, this one poem, uh, Kafka virus versus Thursday, has this sentence in it. How many times do I have to say? And it's very explicit. Like I was born in 1971, my mother. So when I first gave the book in in New York, uh, I took it out. And then maybe on the third pass, I put that, part back in it, because I kept saying, well, if my mother sees that, man, she's going to kill me. You know? <laughs> she's going to kill me if she sees it. Because she typically says it's just your imagination, which I'm putting adjacent to this question of subject matter. Like, Does the imagination have subject matter? Do dreams have subject matters? I would put that next to that kind of question. But with my mother and my parents in general, and my family and my kids, nobody really reads my work. So you know they haven't seen the books yet, um, which means I can say what I want to say. Um, so I took it out just in case she might see it. And then at the end, I put it back in, and I left it. And I was home over the summer, and they had the books briefly, and I took them from them. And so she's left me alone with this. So I was like, okay, maybe I'm dead. She'll read it one day. But they don't, they don't read it. Uh, and then the books got reviewed uh, in the Times, and it was going on just fine. And at the very end of it, they quoted that whole passage. And I was like, she's definitely going to see that. So it just happened. And if she doesn't see it, someone will remind her. Is this being videotaped? videotape?") Uh, if it doesn't happen, I'm not adding you know, trouble to it. So for me, subject matter is like, why would that be in? Why wouldn't it be in kind of thing? And typically in something like that, in the spirit of emotional intelligence, I was just like, well, it would be good you know, if we had a conversation For the audience, though, I mean, it is a direct question about, like, how much we are confined to narratives or how much I would want to dwell on a thing like that in my work and as subject matter, should I? So I bring it up to say that. Like, sometimes in the poems, I'm saying, like, how many times i got to say it? And why would I? But consequentially, I'm like, well, if my mother sees it, she's going to be like, yeah, why have you said it at, at all? You know? So, but I also think that, like, to finally leave it in the book is to say, well, I think maybe I'm ready to talk about it. I mean, it's been a bunch of books. And... It has been said in various ways. And so it is kind of hoping that she would find it without me having to put it in her hand. But, you know, if she were to find it and ask me about it, I think that that would be a positive movement. But if she didn't find it, I would continue exploring it on my own and waiting for her to find it, you know, one day. So there's a I don't know if that answers it, but it, it, it somehow to me is adjacent to this question.
0: I born in 1971, uh-huh. <laughs> so it's a good year. Yeah, it is um, a good year. <laughs> and um, I just wondered, you both seem to be very concerned with mortality in your poems. And I think maybe it's as an age, of when you're our age, you sort of suddenly realise that a lot, a lot seems to be in the past. Mm-hmm. And your poems both seem to, the way in which language can embody something which will remain beyond you. Yeah. I mean, I've been thinking about it a lot, because I've been reading lots of letters from the past, the 18th century, and there's mm-hmm. one poem I just wanted to say. It's really only two lines long by a poet called Anne Killigrew. And I think it, it's um, a few friends to bear my hearse and for my monument, my verse.
1: <laughs> my <laughs> verse yes. for my monument, that's good. Like, her, just, her body of work. Yeah, yeah so yeah. it's
0: just um, very succinct. And I, I wonder what you thought about... Are there any poets from, from the past that you particularly are in dialogue with?
3: Hmm. Uh, you all of them, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. Like... Uh, I think you do sort of, you know, you you're constantly in dialogue with everyone you've read really. Mm-hmm. I'm a part of all that I've met as Tennyson puts it in Ulysses. Uh is what do you think?
1: I think you want to handle it like the library. I mean, yeah. you don't want to be in one part of the library too long, but you hope to have visited all parts of it. So, my response to that would be like, oh, there's so many experimental writers that I need to read more of. Not because you said anything about experimental writers, but my response is sometimes more about gaps. It's a question that makes one feel anxiety. You know, like who are you reading? Um, Poetry, I mean, I read it all the time. I read contemporary poetry. I, I, I don't even know where to start. You would have to ask me someone. And right, there are people in the canon uh, that we're all reading and people that stay. So I, I probably re- I read Keats more than I read Byron, for example. But again, it would just be sort of a question of what part, because I like to think of myself as someone who's been in every part of the bookstore and every part of the library um, waiting to be surprised again. Yeah. So that's why it's a big question, because I want to say like, yeah, right, everybody. If I could think of somebody who hasn't influenced me, you know, for a long time, that would be true for Dickinson. For a long time, I would put Whitman first. Um, and as I've gotten older, even based on what I was saying about Dickinson just writing every day, not even thinking about titles, just numbers on them. They don't all have to be great. It's just that she was writing every day. And that monument, that, that testament of the daily practice becomes more important for me than Whitman, who really wrote one book and continued to revise it. There's a lot of versions of the Leaves of Brass book. So that's cool too, but that's still almost like too anxiety-inducing. You know what I mean? Like the pressure on that is very, it's very male. It's very like... One person on the pyramid versus Dickinson, I think is something else. But I wouldn't have said that maybe ten years ago or fifteen years ago, she wouldn't have been a person. But I always felt some kind of way about that, like I was missing something or that, or, or you know, I, I thought I thought all kinds of things about not fully. Um, getting what I could get out of her. You know? So that's what I mean about like, if I can think of people that I haven't read, I will hope that I'll you know, go home and start and figure out why I haven't read them. That's usually my attitude with that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay, that pause means we're done. Oh, look there. <laughs> this looks like the last question. <laughs>
3: okay, a few more questions. Okay, Just
0: questions. Um, You both have a lot of collections Al. How has your approach and methods to poetry changed over time?
3: Um, uh, So I I sort of think my earlier books are more exploratory to do with language and kind of taking it for a walk around the block. And certainly since uh, my mother died seven years ago, I've sort of seemed uh, to find poetry more of a consolatory thing than exploratory. Mm. So... Uh, I've sort of been interested in elegy interested in we were talking last night I was thinking of uh, the late Robert Lowell um, and whenever he says that wonderful line why not say what happened mm-hmm. I think in my early books I would never have just said what happened and then it became you had to find reasons not to say what happened and I could never find them so the books have become uh, maybe closer to life sort of hewn slightly closer in different ways and more about Um, trying to find the point of poetry in that way, like trying to find what it can hold, what it can, you know, the fragments that we can shore against our ruins, trying to think of that, um, rather than just kind of delighting in the language in a certain way, trying to find some kind of
1: solace, I think, in it. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, It's still going to be like guided by a principle of surprise. Sure. So I would say, I only have two kids If I had 20, I think I would still be as baffled. I would be quicker with certain things when the kid's two and six, if it was my 20th kid. But I would still have challenges because the kid would still be an individual with their own kind of experiences. And that sort of is my relationship to poems and Mm -hmm. books, broadly speaking. And I I like that. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, nobody has the energy to be having kids for their whole life, but... That kind of wrestle, that lesson in the kind of, I don't know where, I mean, I get it in poems, but I think that that's as close as I could come to something pets, I guess. I feel like I have more control over pets than I have over poems. So, you know, I I feel like each poem in each book is still something like as surprising as having another person in your care and you're trying to get them right and give them what they need and the the world changes, environment. I mean, that's where those signs come from. Like, I wasn't... Ever thinking I would write a book of sonnets, and certainly I still don't even like to say his name, like Trump. And I have wanted to get past it, you know what I mean. And so the environment changes; I have to learn new things, and yep. that's not a thing that I could repeat.
3: But you know, whenever he's reelected, you're gonna have to do a second. But that's what I mean. I mean, the volume
1: of American sonnets. The the poems will tell me what to do. You know, if they told me that, maybe. But I, I'm I'm sort of saying I don't really feel like I've ever really figured out anything. It's like house buying too, right? Like you, if you bought 12 houses, each house is gonna be as much a challenge as the first one to figure out what that space is and what you know about it and what makes you comfortable in it. So I just feel like that's okay, you know? So I, I kind of maybe don't want it to get to be where I can like raise a kid with my eyes closed. You know what I mean? Like I kind of, I need it to constantly create some of the anxiety that we're talking about. I think yeah. that is a kind of energy. Yeah.
3: Thanks for listening. To find out more about London Review Bookshop events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events.
2: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.